Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to another World Cup edition of Box to Box, the show that is everything football. Your Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. Of course, all the World Cup and other news shortly, including the heroic past week of the Australian men's national side and an update on the Matildas at home and abroad. After that, of course, the tournament rolls on and we'll speak to a man who will be there to see it right through to the end. A man whose voice is football soundtrack and also the sound of our show since day one, Martin Tyler, joining us courtesy of SBS. He saw an England side respond to the challenge of Senegal with three unanswered goals throwing down the gauntlet to the reigning champions France in what will be a mouth-watering contest. Then as nations representing the Asian Football Conference have had their best ever World Cup result, we'll talk to ESPN Asia's Scott McIntyre to reflect on Australia's performance and look ahead to Japan and South Korea and we'll wrap it up with a special edition of World Cup Corner filed by Willem van Denderen who as we record the pod is flying back home. Willem interviews my usual co-host Michael Edgley before and after after Sunday's round of 16 heartbreaking loss of the Socceroos to Argentina. It's a great listen and captures the hope and the heartbreak before the game and ultimately the satisfaction of a job well done. Derek, uh, it's been a great week. Um, I, I almost feel like I, if we had to go out, I'm, I'm glad that we went out uh, on our feet rather than the, the, the crushing uh, pain of a penalty shootout loss. I'm, I'm almost prepared to accept that if we couldn't win. Are you sure? Maybe you wouldn't have said that, Rob, when uh, uh, Grand Qual was uh, pulling his right boot back and aiming for that bottom corner. There's a fabulous still doing the rounds where it seems uh, likely he's going to score. But uh, heartbreak for the Socceroos, as you said. I mean, they can only leave this tournament with their heads held very truly wide. I don't think there are too many what-ifs and buts. They gave it everything out there. And I just think by seeing the international commentary around the Socceroos as well. You can see on the BBC side, the Guardian, other sites. People have really acknowledged that this Australia team had a lot to contribute to the tournament. So the tournament will move on to quarterfinals, semifinals and finals and eventually a winner. But I think the Socceroos have written their little piece of history in Qatar 2022. It's clear that uh, the the result of Australia-Argentina was the most competitive of the lot. Every other game was competitive. Of course, Senegal for the first 30, 35 minutes against England, Poland at different stages until the uh, uh, the junk time uh, ridiculous penalty that Robert Lewandowski uh, uh, managed to, to score uh, with uh, a minute left on the clock. And then the USA, again, competitive against the Netherlands. But none of those three games went right down to the wire in the same way that uh, the Australia-Argentina match did. So, no, well said, mate. Well, look, why don't we get stuck into the news and we'll start with uh, the news of that very game we're talking about because, of course, the soccer is about out of the World Cup to a Lionel Messi-inspired Argentina 2-1 at the Ahmed Bin Ali Stadium in Doha, playing his 1,000th career match. Messi opened the scoring for La Albi Celeste late in the first half before a Matt Ryan error allowed Julian Alvarez to double the tally early in the second. Craig Goodwin 
Goodwin's deflected goal sparked a late surge from the Socceroos as both Aziz Bayich, who, geez, I think if he had a looked on his right shoulder, I need Ed, you'll point this out later on. Jamie McLaren had his hands out waiting for the goal. And Garen Kowal, as you said, had late chances. Ultimately, it was not to be with Argentina to meet the Netherlands in the quarterfinals. England, of course, defeated Senegal and uh, they will face France uh, in the other quarterfinal, as we know. Football Australia will commence a review into the Socceroos two-and-a-half-year World Cup campaign shortly with out-of-contract manager Graham Arnold declaring he needs a holiday before considering the future. The review will be largely led by Chief Football Officer Ernie Merrick and Performance Director Paddy Steinfurt with input from board members. Arnold has previously expressed his desire to continue as the Socceroos boss with the Asian Cup just over 12 12 uh, months away. Uh, now, tens of thousands of people, as we know, Australian football fans all over the country packed out live sites around Australia. The Socceroos round of 16 clash was the 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 story on everybody's lips was Sydney's Tumbalong Park in Darling Harbour drawing 18,000 for the 6am kickoff in Melbourne. Close to 20,000 attended Amy Park in addition to the 15,000 at Federation Square, which had reached capacity an hour before kickoff. And there were similar scenes across Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, Canberra and Newcastle. And Derek, uh, I saw the, uh, the television Vision ratings today, and and when a, a show on one of the most uh, popular television viewing days of the week, Sunday, uh, pulls in 1.2 million people across the country and beats all comers, um, that's a story that Australia's taken notice of. Even being around the office at work last week, there were people coming up to me and wanting to talk about the Socceroos that I thought had absolutely no interest in uh australia or the great game themselves and in fact they weren't just wanting to talk to me about it they were actually telling me that they were staying up in the middle of the night to watch the denmark game getting up early to watch the argentina game so it's just amazing that even in a state uh victoria where we where this is recorded from where soccer really has to fight for kind of fourth or fifth in the order of the the most popular sports here that uh that, that when the green and gold do turn up and even Let's say not with a you know a galaxy of stars in the team you know such as the uh, the golden generation that they can still uh, inspire the nation and those TV uh, ratings reflect that. Uh, Graham Arnold, I mean, there's you've been doing this show long enough. You you've got a, a strong enough sense of what's going on in Australian football. You know as well as anybody who follows the game, the politics that go on behind uh, managers and coaches at both club and and international level. But surely um, the detractors uh, will have to take a step back now and and allow if Arnold wants to continue um, a free run at it for uh, uh, at least the qualifying for the next Asian Cup. And uh, uh, and see if he can he can turn this magic that he's created into to something more enduring. Well, they'd be absolutely mad if they decided to give Graham Arnold the boots. I mean, he's one of the most successful managers in the uh, Australian game, probably outside uh, of Ange, and he's very much in that in that bracket, or he's certainly in that in that conversation. And as we've spoken before, has had to do it with. And this is no this is no disrespect to anyone that pulled on the uh, the green and gold uh, over the uh, over the World Cup in Qatar, but you know this isn't a team that's full of uh, Premier League stars, for example, like previous iterations. This is a team that is definitely uh, more than some of its parts. That they all work hard for each other, uh, are happy to play for the system. You could see the camaraderie uh, in the in that that um, Arnold has created. I, I think probably now the next question is how does this team evolve? You know, 
Australia have turned up and they've they've shocked. You know, the, probably the biggest shock was the Denmark game. Denmark were very flat, and Australia, like they did throughout the tournament, apart from the France game, just managed to nick a goal. I think I think their expected goals was over the course of the tournament was amongst the lowest, but they just kept trying to get them in. But um, I think it's probably now thinking about what Socceroos 2.0 looks like, and it's not necessarily throwing out the formula from this World Cup, but I think we all agree that we would like to see Australia actually taking it on to teams a little bit more, not having to you know sit and absorb 70 80% and actually start putting their stamp on games. And, and all they need to do is look to their, um, their AFC cousins like uh, Japan, for example, and look how they're not just there to make up the numbers anymore and, and are now a serious force uh, in, in, uh, in world football. And I'm sure when we talk to Scott McIntyre, Rob, we can break that down a little bit more and see where next for Australia. We'll roll on. There's been, a, of course, uh, a, a lot of other football news in the course of the past week, not the least of which that was that uh, we've all been watching this uh, this story with, with great interest, that Pelé has been readmitted to Sao Paulo's Albert Einstein Hospital with a respiratory infection. But the 82-year-old has urged people to remain calm and positive, which is great news, that fact that uh, whilst he is in uh, uh, palliative care he and not responding to chemotherapy, um, that he's still lucid and able to make a public statement. He went on to thank supporters for sending good vibes and stressed his stay was part of a routine visit. And uh, I was listening, I know you mentioned the Guardian Football Week early, early. I think it was uh, Barney Rone uh, talking about uh, having to dig uh, into the, the archives of YouTube to to find uh, some footage, of, uh, quality footage of, of Pelé to, uh, to show um, uh, somebody that uh, he knew that was an uninitiated uh, but um, but interested observer in, uh, uh, in you know, the... Um, what appears to be um, decline of of the great man, and uh, and to show him some of the the, the great moments. Uh, uh, it, it hopefully, um, Pele does recover. Uh, he's only eighty two years old, so you'd think that uh, there there is an opportunity uh, should he respond to treatment for a few more years left. But uh, but what a what a titan of, of football he's been, and and for this story to be breaking during the World Cup, it's uh, it's one that puts things into perspective. When we talk about iconic footballers, he's probably the last one. Really, obviously, we lost Johan Cruyff. Um, not too long ago, we lost obviously Diego Maradona very recently, and Pele is in that triumvirate of players that really changed the game. And yeah, probably because he started his career in the 1950s, you know, a lot of his early career uh, with Santos or with Brazil is quite grainy, so it's not quite as sharp as that Maradona um, content. And I think also, you know, um, Maradona was a scorer of great goals, whereas Pele was a great goal scorer. And his record speaks for itself. In about 700 domestic appearances, he scored 655 goals and he scored 77 goals in 92 appearances for Brazil. So, you know, this is someone who is absolutely at the the very, very top pinnacle of world football and yes a lot of the chatter even these days is around you know uh, Ronaldo and, and Messi and the like but this guy for anyone listening who this isn't your era yeah you should go onto YouTube type in Pele and, and and look for some some fantastic goals that he scored so we all cross our fingers and toes we also you know would say that you know this has been on the cards for a little while the fact that he's in hospital isn't a great surprise we obviously 
wish the great man the best um and we'll just obviously wait for news rob and, and see what happens now why does this next story not surprise me derek the russian football union is considering an application to move to the asian football confederation according to a leading voice in russian football noble arustaman the rfu national teams and clubs are currently banned from european competitions following the nation's invasion of ukraine Long-term sanctions were on the agenda at this week's FIFA Congress in Doha. Aristaman reports that the RFS is looking to soften the situation around football. So you can't come in through the front door, you come in through the side. Surely uh, FIFA and uh, the AFC cannot take this story seriously. Well, I, mean, I don't think the AFC can take this story seriously. I mean, I don't think the, the AFC needs Russia, quite frankly. As, as I think you said off the top, this has been... Uh, Asia's best World Cup. Um, Asian football seems to be booming in a number of different ways. And while technically uh, Russia is a uh, is an Asian country as much as it is a, a European country, this doesn't feel like the right thing to do. I, I mean, I, I nothing would surprise me in the kind of murky world of uh, uh, football geopolitics and realpolitik, but I would be amazed if uh, the AFC were. Uh, welcoming Russia with with open arms um, when when their European and, and FIFA counterparts have taken such strong action on it, Rob. So hopefully this is you know what do they call it in politics? Flying a kite? They're probably just flying a kite. See what the reaction is. Everyone's just looking at it, going, "No, I don't think so." And maybe they'll just have to move on and they'll have to wait for the resolution of the situation in Ukraine before they can get back to playing in any kind of European or uh, international football. Now, a shocking story that's broken in the last uh, 24 hours around Raheem Sterling, who, who who left England's World Cup squad in Qatar to return home to London. Armed intruders broke into his Surrey home on Saturday night with a spokesman for the Chelsea forward confirming that his partner and his two children were in the house at the time. A, a family source told the son, it looks like uh, over half a million dollars Australian uh, of watches have been taken. The uh, uh, the source says uh, just a horrific, horrific story. And this is two years after three burglars targeted a number of homes in the northwest of England, including an attempted break-in in Stirley's home, then home in Chelsea back in 2018. So just a real horrific story that uh, um, that brings home the uh, the underbelly that, that 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 hovers around football and clearly watches the the movements of, of these players and for for uh, for them to take advantage of uh, of a young family in such a horrific crime is uh, is just disgusting isn't it mate yeah not much i need to add to that rob yeah obviously disgusting we we wish uh, raheem and his family all the best you know the timing is not good uh, from his point of view but uh, gareth southgate was very clear in his press conference which uh, england operates a family first um culture and you know along with uh, ben white he's also left the uh, the England squad for some personal reasons. Uh, Sterling will miss, will he miss the uh, the last round? Will he be back for the quarterfinal against France? We'll, we'll have to see. But clearly, Gareth Southgate will, will want to make sure that his head is right um, and, and that he's ready to get back to the kind of white-hot um, atmosphere that will be that, that quarterfinal game. 
Okay, Derek, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we're going to talk to Martin Tyler after the break. I thought uh, England looked a little bit wobbly for the first half hour, but uh, they uh, they didn't for the rest of the game. And uh, I feel like they are looking very dangerous. And uh, and it just wouldn't surprise if uh, they uh, set uh, the world alight by beating France in their next game against Kylian Mbappe and his men. Stick around. Martin Tyler next on Box to Box. Well, as I say every week, we love cooking and we love eating on this show and our friends at Hoyt's Herbs and Spices are always on hand for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and change the mood of your food. Now, we've been trying to give you a few Middle Eastern uh, uh, flavours during the course of the World Cup uh, in honour of the host of the tournament. Now, Derek, uh, are you familiar with uh, Dhaka? Yes, I am actually, Rob. Yes, um, so I'm sure you've eaten it many times in your travels through uh, various Middle Eastern restaurants. It's, uh, well, a Middle Eastern mix uh, of nuts, seeds and spices. And if you want to make your own, it's really easy because you just need sesame seeds, which, of course, powdered coriander and cumin. They're, they're three of the most common ingredients. And some toasted nuts, usually uh, the, the cashew variety, pistachios as well. Brown them all together and you make a lovely dry rub, Derek. And uh, what do you think? Put them on some pork cutlets uh, that go well? A little of olive oil? Yeah, no, I, I think that would be uh, just the treat, Rob. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. That's it. So you make that uh, uh, dukkah from the Hoyt spices uh, and uh, a little olive oil, and then you can uh, you can put them on the uh, the barbecue. You can uh, you fry them, serve them with a uh, let's say a fatouche, maybe that uh, classic uh, Middle Eastern salad with mint and parsley, cucumber, tomatoes, like a garlicky lemony oil uh, dressing with shallots in it as well. I'll tell you, it will absolutely fill your belly, Middle Eastern style, and you'll love it. Remember, refill all your empty spice jars with eight coals or worse, and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. We'll talk more Socceroos later in the game and in stoppage time as it drops a little later on in the week. But of course, the tournament rolls on without Australia and the man whose voice has been the soundtrack of football for so many years. He works for many media organisations, not the least of which is Sky Sports around the world. But in Australia right now, he joins us courtesy of SBS and I speak of none other than Martin Tyler. Welcome back to the show, Martin. It's a pleasure to join you again. Yeah, and you're looking well there, mate. We've been loving listening to your voice uh, calling these games. I know uh, as uh, I, I wake up in the morning, often um, I'll be wandering around the house with two televisions on and uh, have AirPods in my ears uh, uh, listening to whatever game it happens to be. But uh, um, but before we, we go on to, to uh, well, England in particular, uh, um, you know, ever since you famously called Charlie Yankos's uh, wonder strike back in 1988, famously your only visit to Australia, as we found out when we we chatted to you recently, it's um, still true. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, you but you've always followed the national side. Obviously, you've got uh, a, a very close connection with Australian football via SBS. Uh, um, so, you know, going into qualification. Australia, we barely qualified by the skin of our teeth. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, I think it's generous or fair to describe the squad as, as a threadbare squad uh, compared to the 2006 iteration of the Socceroos. Give us your assessment of Australia's performance at this World Cup. Well, I think um, way beyond expectation. Um, probably that's a bit unfair. 
that the expectations were so low. It might have helped them a little bit um, because, you know, the the weight of expectation does, um, it makes the shirt a heavy one for some of the countries who are still in it. And that will be put to the test as they get further and further in the competition. I thought they were brilliantly well organised. Uh, you mentioned the Charlie Yankos game. Of course, Graham Arnold played in that game. And uh, so to see him develop from um, a, a really hardworking uh, an international footballer to an extremely detailed and diligent coach. And I think the the whole was greater than the sum of the individual parts, which is what team sport is all about. And they certainly gave Argentina a real scare. They, they sure did. And uh, I was watching uh, the highlight pack as well. And uh, even though Aziz Bayic has uh, run into the goal square, uh, has, uh, has been rightfully lauded, I just wish he had a look to his right and seen Jamie McLaren sitting there because as you watch the replay and you focus on Jamie McLaren, he's got his hands out in that classic style. Please give me the ball. Um, look, it's all what might have been now. But uh, tell us also... I think, I think all the countries have, who have been knocked out in the round of 16 can look at those moments. And Senegal certainly had some moments early on against England. Christian Pulisic had a great chance. Very came probably too early in the game for him, yeah. uh, for the USA against the Netherlands. So um, in the end, you do get judged by those moments. And the teams that have the Messi's and the Mbappe's, yeah. And dare I say, Harry Kane's, they they take those chances and they, they get the result. Um, and it's a very, football is, is, a, is a wonderful, uh, complex view of watching a game. So much can happen. You don't know what the storyline is going to be. But actually, it reverts to type a lot as well. And uh, had that, that would have been a World Cup great goal of all time. But it didn't happen, and the reason it didn't happen is because it wasn't Messi doing it <laughs> with the greatest respect, you know. Yeah. And Messi does it, and that's why they win the game, and that's why they're elevated those players to the um, the heights that we put the pedestals we put them on now. Yeah, that's right. And before we move on from Australia, Martin, just the uh, behind the scenes uh, in media centres as you uh, stride those corridors uh, that we uh, don't have the privilege of, of getting involved in. Uh, what, what's the general sense from the people that you speak to in football and the football media uh, of of the Australian uh, progression through the tournament, giving uh, as we uh, as we record that of the four um, knockout matches that have been played so far, that, that this really was the one that had the most jeopardy right through to uh, the final whistle? Two things, really. Um, great credit um, also I David Bashir as you know has done a wonderful job for SBS on those games so I, I wasn't privileged to to meet Socceroos I wasn't in those uh, corridors of power if you like um, but the accessibility that SBS got I know was very much appreciated and, and you know I can't speak for the rest of the world, but certainly in England, we know about Australian sportsmen. We know that they they don't leave anything out there. They give it their absolute all, and this was typical of it. Um, and I was just sitting in my hotel room watching watching it unfold, really hoping that it could, and this is an Englishman talking, really hoping that they could get um, turn that jeopardy into reality. Um, and it, it was so close. But if you're going to fail, fail gloriously. And, and that's what they've done. And it isn't, fail, failure is the wrong word. Um, if you, you're going to get knocked out, get knocked out gloriously. And, and they did. And they made Argentina look less than the candidates to win this World Cup than they were when we all came here before a ball was kicked. And if we move along uh, to talking about England, there were questions around Gareth Southgate going into the tournament, England's uh, poor run of form uh, running in. But once again, you know, leading into this France game, he's proven 
what a great tournament coach he is. Yes, and the Nations League, that sort of fell at the wrong time. It's extraordinary to think that England did come in on a, a six games without a win run. Um, and having won the opening game, they've got six goals, but then they didn't win the next one. So it was one win in eight um, when they drew with the USA. But I think it's, it's only time will tell. But my impression of this unique World Cup where the players are coming straight from the Premier League into into a World Cup without um, any sort of break. They basically got together a couple of days after they played the last Premier League weekend, flew to Qatar, had a couple of training sessions and got out on the pitch and played. I think that's working for teams like England because the players are used to the intensity of the matches that would be happening at home. They'd be playing Champions League or Carabao Cup as well as the Premier League. They're used to these uh, big schedules. And um, uh, it's not just... Um, the England players, anyone who plays in, in the top leagues in Europe is having the same sort of thing. And there are plenty of those scattered around the other the other team. Even Jude Bellingham doesn't play in England, does he? So he's had a, a, a strong Bundesliga uh, Champions League schedule. So uh, I think that's that's going to be a factor. When, when the dust settles here, uh, I think people will look back on it and say, well, what were the benefits of, of the fact that it was switched to this time of the year? And, and it looks as though it is suiting teams like England who, who do look fresh and do look hungry and don't have that sort of, oh gosh, we've got to play again, having played the season from August through to May and now we've had a week's holiday with our family and now we've started training again and now we've got to go and play again. And that, that despite the fact the World Cup is a great honour to play in, these are human beings we're dealing with. And I know I work with Gary Neville very closely and he's told me that he always wanted to go straight from the last Premier League game in May straight into the, the tournament, not have this sort of hiatus, which was supposed to help the players. But in fact, it looks history seemed to show that it didn't. Obviously, England will play France in the next round. With all due respect to the teams that have come before them, this is a, a step up in opposition for, for both nations as they reach this stage of the competition. Um, what, what do you think generally, Martin? Is this a kind of toss of the toss of the coin? You know, both teams come into it in excellent form. Well, I said towards the end of my commentary uh, um, in the Senegal game, I said, well, it will be a tough game for England, but it'll be a tough game for France as well. And really, that's what it is. It's a, it's a 50-50 call. Undoubtedly, Kylian Mbappe is ripping up world football at the moment. He's an astonishing player for one so young. The goals he scores, the maturity he plays with, and he's bringing the best out of everybody else. Um, but England have had eight different goal scorers. And Harry Kane was the eighth of the eight, and who'd have thought that if I'd have given you that stat? Um, and so they've got the ability to, to hurt teams, and that's what they did against Senegal. They were not playing very well, and, and some of those defensive weaknesses that were highlighted before the tournament started um, were just showing. And, and then suddenly, one break, you know, and they find a goal from Jordan Henderson, of all people, who you wouldn't put on a, a list of eight goal scorers in a, in a, a World Cup first four games, but he is. And, um, you know, then Kane gets his goal and, and that was the last kick of the first half and the job was done, really. So, if you like, they, they've got the heavyweights with a potential knockout punch. But you could say the same about France. And I think there's more pressure on France, to be honest with you. They're the holders. They've got a World Cup to lose. And if England were to get knocked out, then... Um, the football that they've played here has been much appreciated back in the United Kingdom and um, and they wouldn't go home timidly. Um, but we'll see. It's, yeah, 
I'm counting the hours to the game, to be honest with you. Jude Bellingham was getting rave reviews for his performance in the Senegal game and has been getting rave, performance, uh, rave performances with it throughout the tournament. And then you mentioned Jordan Henson, probably not in Gareth Southgate's starting eleven as he uh, as he entered the tournament, but he's found his way into that with with his sort of dependability and his experience. Do you think this is an area where England can actually take the game to France and, and win this battle? We'll see. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's only a few hours since the fixture was confirmed, really. There are lots of things that all I've looked up so far. England last played France in 2017. Mbappe played. He was 18. I think it was his fifth cap. And he set up the winning goal. France won 3-2, even though Varane was sent off in a VAR called very early VAR. Um, and it ended up, um, you know, the end, it was the end of a season, sort of throwaway game, really. Um, but it was Kyle Walker, who's obviously been outlined now to um, as the quickest England defender to to take on Mbappe. It may not happen like that. Gareth may have a different view on it, but um, he he was involved in that game as well. Um, when you say Henderson wouldn't be in the first eleven, he'd be in the first twelve. If you understand my meaning, he'd always be the the first one you'd go to to try and sort out a problem on the pitch. I mean, he's a a, a tremendous person football person he understands every nuance of the level of football that he's playing at he's won trophies held up trophies for Liverpool often enough and yeah I think it has probably surprised the nation that he's suddenly emerged in this way it's certainly a surprise when he scores I think it's three goals in 73 games or something like that and that was his first goal of the calendar year uh, he actually last scored on December the 1st 2021 for for Liverpool so he'd gone just over a year um, without a goal, and he crops up with the sort of goal Brian Robson. If you go back, that sort of goal Brian Robson used to score coming late into the box from from midfield. So yeah, he's important. Um, there is an elderly look to a lot of the teams. The senior players have been called upon to play with great responsibility. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I stop counting the over thirties now because they're they're there all the time. Um, but as I say, they're fit and firing. The England players are used to playing at this level. I wouldn't say that the, all the France players are by any means because uh, obviously the PSG contingent, it's a bit of a soft shoe shuffle, isn't it, for them in Liga? So um, so we'll see. Fitness may be, may, it may come down to that. I think it's more likely to come down to who defends the better of the two countries. And when we look at the quarterfinals so far, we know we know half of it. And of course, we've, we've mentioned England and France. Another one's going to be Argentina. Uh, and the Netherlands. Um, do you have any preference on whether you'd like, to, you know, it seems to be all the quote-unquote big teams are getting through at the moment. You know, would it be nice to see a kind of a Japan or a, or a South Korea or someone break in there? Or, you know, do we want all the so-called big teams, you know, because it's already looking like a, a stellar quarterfinal lineup? I think we want what the game deserves, what the actual matches deserve. Uh, you know, I, I don't subscribe to the view that it's better because there are eight uh, maybe eight, not the Croatia, but they're losing finalists. So, uh, you know, we have to put them in the category of, of being uh, a top, a top-rated teams at, the, at this level as well. So, um, now, I, I, if if it happens that way, then it's because they've won the football matches in the round of sixteen, fair and square. And the events of the group stage is just like one big football party, to be honest with you. I mean, all the big nations that lost the game still managed to get through, apart from Belgium and Germany. So, um, it, it, but it was such fun. I mean, 
I'll be honest with you, I was pretty much lost for words when uh, the Korea Republic scored uh, to win because that was never going to happen. And then, of course, they hadn't won because they had to wait for Uruguay to um, to not take the chances in that eight minutes between the end of one game and the and the end of the Uruguay Ghana game. So that that sort of topped the lot really from all all the surprises and and that got them through. Um, so it, it's. Um, Yes, it, I do think there's a sort of a bit of a cutoff point when you get to uh, the, the knockout stage, and, and it's the business, isn't it? Doing the business, and the, the teams that are used to doing the business have a have an advantage. But but we'll see, we'll see. We've got the other games as we're talking. We've got obviously mm. the other games to come, and um, my next assignment is uh, Career Republic against uh, against Brazil. So. Um, you never know. No, Brazil have got some injuries, although we hear Neymar is probably going to play. So that's that's obviously good news from their point of view. Well, we'll be listening. Well, it's morning over there. It's uh, evening over here. So we'll, we'll get a, a night's sleep, Martin, and wake up and, mm-hmm. and he, hear your voice uh, via uh, the SBS commentary where you can hear and watch uh, all of the, the remaining games live and free on the, what's been a fabulous SBS On Demand uh, app. But uh, before we, we let you go, Martin, um, th- this Qatar... Uh, World Cup has been surrounded by controversy, which uh, we don't need to go through all the reasons. We're all aware of them. Um, your experience compared to other World Cups uh, uh, with the overlay of that controversy around it, um, the unique differences, challenges compared to other tournaments? My first World Cup was 1978 as a commentator, and I was um, not quite ordered, but advised by... I was a member of the National Union of Journalists. I was advised by their um, committee not to go. It wasn't right because of the military regime. People were disappearing. And, and you know, that when they look back at it now, um, it, it might have been a, if I'd been more mature, it might have been a, a different decision to make. But I, but I went and, and I learned then that conversation is better than confrontation. And I feel the same here. Um, they're learning about us as much as we're learning about them. The, the, the hosts are um, having Western influences, if you like, uh, different influences from all over the world. And they're coping, as far as the administration of the football tournament, is that they're coping very well. You've seen the figures that FIFA put out at the end of the group stage. Um, it's being seen by the authorities as, as a great success. So I, I stand by that. I'm, I, you know, I, It's happened before. No doubt it will happen again. Um, any country that has the resources to put on a World Cup will be questioned, I think, because it's, it's just amazing what, what's been done here in terms of, of infrastructure. And, um, and obviously, there's been a heavy price paid um, in the construction of the stadia, and we're all well aware of that. But, um, you know, the tournament is what it is. We're here to report on it. And from that point of view, watching the football and you're the viewers... Um, have you been entertained? I throw it back at you. You know, what are you thinking when you're watching the games? Yeah, well, look, I suppose in, insofar as the football itself is concerned, and if we're looking through that uh, that prism alone, then um, it's as good a World Cup as as I can recall in in my living memory. I'm 56 years old, and uh, and I recall uh, um, my, my my greatest memories of of a World Cup uh, uh, watching on SBS back in 1982 when Paolo Rossi uh, uh, famously uh, uh, was uh, was the golden boot of that tournament when when Italy won, and uh, and I've uh, become more and more engaged 
coach and involved in football over time. So so as the tournament and the circus, for all of the criticism of FIFA and, and rightfully so across many areas, they do know how to put on an event that captures the world and uh, and insofar as uh, as the event and the the matches themselves uh, uh, the competitive nature of the tournaments the uh, the the so-called minnows rising and some of the the larger nations falling by the wayside personally i'm captivated as as captivated as i ever been but with the caveat that um that we hope that um that some uh, real and lasting change does uh, take place after the the, the uh, caravan rolls on it's more likely to take place with intermingling with the mm. different sections of society and values mm. than mm. not happening and yeah. that's that's my standpoint no one here mm. working here has forgotten what you're talking about i promise you that martin tyler it's always a pleasure talking to you we're going to enjoy listening to you for the rest of the tournament mate you're always so generous with your time and uh, um to 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 refer to you as an ambassador for football i think would be a pretty apt description along with uh, a, a lot of the other uh, uh titles that you hold mate thanks again for for coming on the show thanks for asking me and i appreciate your kind words no, not at all, Martin Tyler, as always. Uh, thanks to our friends at SPS. Um, you can watch uh, all the remaining matches live and free on SPS. If you haven't downloaded it already, the SPS On Demand app, it's as good as any of the other streaming services that there are out there, and Martin's delivering this uh, wonderful uh, app to us or content of football via that, uh, that very app. Martin Tyler on Box to box. Okay, stick around after the break. Scott McIntyre from ESPN Asia is also over there in Qatar. Uh, this has been one of the great tournaments for Asian football. We're going to talk to Scott about it after the break on Box to Box. Oh, it's nearly Christmas, and I've got a special guest appearance by Damien Tardio. How are you, Damien? Bah, bah. Mate, well done. You're a natural, and you uh, uh, play this uh, this jingle these days uh, on the uh, the Three AW Breakfast Show when Russell Howcross does does his live reads. Was that inspired by Box to Box? That idea? It was. It all started on Box to Box. I thought it did. And are you going to get your Christmas shopping done very soon? What's available at Chemist Warehouse? Well, mate, you're going to buy some fragrances for your dad, the great Tony, aren't you? Well, yeah, I, I want to get him a nice sort of Pinot Silvestre or something like that. I reckon he'll, that'll suit him. <laughs> Mario Toscani would absolutely love that, as would the boys from Sushi Mango. But along with the Pinot Silvestre, which is probably at the discount end, you might want to get yourself some Montblanc Explorer. 60 mils, Eau de Parfum, 49.99. That's 73 bucks off, mate. I can smell it wafting through the computer screen now. Oh, get in there right now. Estee Lauder, beautiful, 30 mils, Eau de Parfum for the ladies in your life, $49.99. Just save $50. Chemist Warehouse demo. The great savings are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Always good to talk to Martin Tyler on the show, but uh, another man who's joined us uh, from time to time since we started uh, this thing back in 2015. Uh, he's with the Asian Game. He's with ESPN Asia. He's been with uh, a lot of different media organisations, but he's right over there in Qatar right now. Uh, and we want to talk about, well, what is from a group performance uh, the best uh, World Cup result for Asian uh, football uh, conference nations, uh, and I talk of none other than Scott McIntyre. How are you, Scott? Yeah, good morning, guys. My my voice is um my voice is going a little bit, so um I hope it holds up okay. But yeah, it's been it, like you said, it's been a good tournament for the for the AFC um, <clears throat> nations. Good for Australia, Japan, and Korea in particular. And yeah, looking forward to talking about it. 
Yeah, and uh, and I know I say best ever World Cup result, but uh, you know that's with the caveat that of course South Korea made the final when they co-hosted yep. back in two oh two. But uh, let's start with Australia. I mean, we've already talked to Martin Tyler about this sort of European perspective and a commentator's perspective, and as you know better than anybody, Martin's uh, uh, long history with uh, with Australian football. But uh, yeah. as an, as an observer. Um, and we're going to talk about Japan in a moment. And we are conscious before I go on that uh, that many of our listeners, uh, um, this uh, podcast won't date as uh, as well as we'd like it to. As not many podcasts can during the course of this World Cup with games every single day. So some of our listeners will be listening before kickoff and others will be listening afterwards. So, um, so expectation would have been higher around uh, around Japan, around South Korea, even Iran, uh, um, the way that uh, they qualified through the tournament. Uh, Australia was probably not uh, uh, sitting alongside of Saudi Arabia insofar as low expectations were concerned. But the way we qualified, the way things fell off, of, uh, um, and then we just got in by the skin of our teeth, uh, the, the expectations were not high. So your observations of, of what you'd expected going in and now um, after the event. Yeah, well, I think you've got it exactly right. I mean, I think at, at some point, I mean, you know, qualification started positively and then it, it, it dipped quite quickly. And then there was a point where, okay, is qualification itself in, in danger? Then you've got through that part. Then you've got you've got to get past the UAE. That wasn't easy. Then you've got to get past Peru. <laughs> that wasn't easy. So I, I think, yeah, if you stack all those things, and, and then you've got the group, which is a little bit, um, I mean, it's a World Cup, right? So they're, they're always going to be difficult groups as well. So, yeah, you guys know better than me being there day in, day out. But, but what I was seeing is that I think the expectations were that, yeah, I mean, just being there was was a positive. And then, um, you know, after that, maybe maybe a point, maybe a goal, maybe a win, something like this could be, um, could be considered a good result. And then, yeah, you factor in what happened in the first game against France and... And, and again, the expectations were almost getting lower and lower and lower. So, to, yeah, to see the turnaround against um, Tunisia and Denmark was really, was really, really positive. And, yeah, I think you're spot on. Certainly, um, the expectations were, were, were met and um, exceeded. I think there's no question um, about that. Maybe there's some um, form of discussion around the style of football, the way that the results came. Um, yeah, maybe we can get into those or not, but but um, but certainly in terms of the results and the progression, um, yeah, it was it was a good thing, and and, and what that's going to do to the game in Australia is 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 now the next question as well. What happens with the coach um, going forward? What happens with the direction of the national team? How the A leagues um, can benefit from this? So there's yeah, there's a lot, and what you can do with fifteen million dollars while we're at it as well, the prize money. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot to be answered. Well, I do want to ask you about the way that the results were achieved. And uh, um, and I guess the question uh, on one side is, uh, do you do you create a, a, a structure and um, and a game plan um, that that uh, is reflective of the quality of the, the squad that you have? Or do you try to create a more adventurous uh, game plan and uh, an attempt to, to have the, the squad uh, perform around it? Well, I mean, that, 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 that's the question, and, and it's one of opinions. I mean, I think if you look back to 2014, um, when Ange had the team, the squad was um, also not the greatest squad we've ever had. And I think I'm right in saying that this squad was not the greatest we've ever had either in terms of um, yeah, technical elements, but there were different approaches, certainly, that were taken in, um, in Brazil and, and here. Okay, in Brazil, we lost three games. Here, we've got through... Um, to the round of 16. So I don't know, do the ends justify the means? But it, it's, a, it's a question of, um, 
<clears throat> of where we want to go as a nation, what we want the team um, to be, the identity of the team. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's no secret to anybody that technically, you know, if you stack the 32 nations at the World Cup um, up against each other, we're, you know, we're down near the bottom of it. And and that's just the reality of, of where football is um, in Australia at the moment with the development of the game with, you know, you guys have been talking about it for a long time as well with with youth, with youth football, with youth coaching. How do we how do we get a system in place where we're developing technically gifted players that then give you better um, tactical options when you get to a, a tournament like this? And and then, yeah, I mean, as you said, I, I don't know the answer to it, but um, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, some kind of cues you can read from Japan in, in terms of the way that, that they're training youth coaches. But then we get to a World Cup with a squad that's not technically um, on the same level as any of the other opponents. So how do you play? I mean, do you try and do, do what Ange did in, in 2014 and, and risk crashing out? Or do you play? I mean, <clears throat> the, the results, as we said, are fantastic. And, yeah, and, you know, we really we hope it does a lot for Australian football. But I haven't seen too much commentary, I think, um, in terms of the way that the results um, were earned. I mean, the, the XG was very, very low. Um, in all games, I think we had... 20 shots across the entire group stage. Um, and I think objectively speaking, we're probably second best in, in most of those group games. Um, and, and certainly the game against Argentina as well. So is it, I mean, you know, it's whatever it is on since um, almost uh, two decades since, you know, qualification for Germany, but still, you know, we're, we're reading and, and listening to, to stories of heroic defeats um you know i'd like to think that maybe the time has come to to try and move beyond yeah beyond um you know dna and grit and and heroic defeats and you know i think it's particularly instructive as well if you look at what saudi arabia did against argentina and again the saudis i think are technically much better than the socceroos are but they played with bravery and they played with courage in, in terms of um pushing high up the pitch playing a really really um risky and dangerous um, high line and, and they said you know we, we're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Argentina and they were rewarded <clears throat> for that so they're things in a different way and, and um, yeah I think there's an element of the heroic defeat which yeah ho hopefully you know we don't need to hear about that for, for too many more World Cups. With South Korea's prospects I mean for those that are maybe just starting to look at them as a contender uh, the perception will be that it's it's all about uh, Son you know is clearly the one of the outstanding European-based players and, you know, one of the best players in, in the Premier League. But are there some other players that we should be keeping an eye on as South Korea head into the last 16? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and for a long time, there's been an over-reliance perhaps um, on Son. Uh, I think even within the squad, you know, um, uh, that they want him on the ball as much as possible um, and, you know, that the players need to kind of funnel the ball to him. But I think in recent um, times, that's been moderated a bit. So, you know, we see the combination with Hwang Yi-chan, um, the striker who came into the tournament with a fitness cloud came off the bench and scored the goal that took them through to the round of 16. Uh, Huang Inbom is, is a technically gifted um, midfielder who's been good in the tournament. And then one of the real exciting young players, Ali Kangin, who plays in, in Europe as well, is, um, is a real dynamo. He's been in and out of favour with the coach. But I think, um, yeah, you know, we, have, we expect him to start this match now. And he's the kind of guy that can get on the ball and create things as well. So they've got an experienced um, defence um, and, and goalkeeper strong and sound at the back with yeah with creative players out wide and and centrally so i think this is yeah, one of the better career teams that we've seen in quite a while and 
yeah, it's a massive challenge though, isn't it? Going up against Brazil, but it's the same thing we spoke about with Japan and Australia. It's a mentality thing, you know, are you prepared to sit back and, and try and absorb pressure? Because, you know, there's only a limit to, to how long you can do that um, against the likes of, you know, these bigger nations. And okay, you may scrape a, a point here or there, um, and, you know, I think Song's one of the, the top, you know, footballers in the planet. So it's not like the, the Koreans don't have the, the players to, to hurt Brazil as well. And yeah, I'd love to see them try and come out and play and, and take the game to Brazil. Yeah, we hope they do, Scott. And uh, look, if anything, this uh, this World Cup has, has shown um, well. If the world, the rest of the world, hadn't already uh, noticed uh, that the um, that the gradual rise of uh, of football in the in the Asian Confederation more broadly uh, is is uh, continuing at a pace and uh, and and can beat the the best in the world on their day. Um, just how often they can put that day together um, in consecutive days over the course of a tournament, and will it be an Asian team? Will it be an African side? Uh, who, who will eventually rise to the, the top of the class uh, at some point? However, far back in the future, it happens to be when one of the the, uh, the non-traditional European or South American footballing nation eventually uh, uh, wins the great prize of, of the World Cup. Scott, thanks again for joining us, mate. Uh, um, enjoy the rest of your time in Qatar. We'll probably by the next time we talk to you next time, uh, it might be uh, pre-season for for the next J League. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and. and- yeah, well, who knows what what's going to happen with Kevin Muscat? Um, who knows what's going to happen with the soccer job? But uh, yeah, well, exactly, it might not be available anymore. Might have to extend that one year contract. Yeah, 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 he's done a fantastic job. So yeah, always happy to to get back on and, and chat about the J League. Yeah, when that kicks off again as well. Good on you, Scott. Scott McIntyre, one of the authoritative voices uh, uh, from Australia in football, let alone uh, football in Asia, uh, over there in Qatar, talking about uh, the performance of the Australian, the Australian, the Asian Confederation nations in the World Cup. Okay, stick around. We're going to listen to a very special wrap-up of their World Cup with Edge and Willem in a uh, cup corner. The before and after uh, that uh, that uh, special uh, night, Doha morning in Australia. Um, where Australia, uh, well, we'll say gallantly, went down, sadly, to Argentina. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this box to box great show. I hope you've enjoyed it, Martin Tyler. Well, how could you not enjoy him, Scott McIntyre? What a passionate man for Asian football, and uh, we're going to bring it home with a, a special uh, little piece filed by Willem and uh, Michael Edgeley as they uh, well before and after the uh, the game on Sunday morning our time. Australia went into that match against Argentina with so much hope for shocking the world. And I think if you just listen to this first couple of minutes here as the, the guys approach the stadium, you, you can't help but uh, engage in the hype and, and the hope and the expectation. Have a listen. We are at the Ahmed Bin Ali Stadium. The Socceroos are about to take on Argentina, round of 16. Time to shock the world. Yeah, time to shock the world. Um, uh, Al Rayan Sports Club, what a fantastic facility this is. One of the, the, the biggest club in, uh, in Qatar. This is a real serious football club with a real serious stadium and the surrounds. We're here. Let's paint the picture with them because we're looking around outside the stadium. We are two and a half hours from kickoff and we can see blue and white basically, can't we? About a thousand Aussies expected. You think there'd be maybe a couple maybe more, more couple, than that, a few, yeah, yeah. maybe a couple hundred more than that, but rumour has it that there have been nine flights from Buenos Aires landing. 
uh, at Doha within the last 24 hours. Can you confirm? Yeah, absolutely. And there's 30 flights come from Dubai with Argentinians as well. So, no, we're going to be seriously outnumbered. We know what they bring. They bring noise, energy, passion. Uh, they're very intense. They're animals, basically. So we know what to expect. We've played them before. We've had a rich history, really, with Argentina. We don't really... Um, have much to fear because we know we know there's no unknowns with them we know they're very good we know their fans are very hostile and everyone's having a good time including our people there's a lot of singing and as we walk into the stadium from our mob saying you're blue you're white you're going home tonight I don't I really don't do hope that doesn't bounce on us Philip well it worked when it was your red and white you're going home your, tonight for the Danes just a couple of days ago final couple Michael if you're the uh, 11 Blokes in the blue and white, the LB Celeste on the pitch tonight. How are you feeling playing Australia? Jeez, you wouldn't want to go home. Well, I think you'd be confident because they are, you know, they've lost, what have they lost? One game in two years. Um, the Copa America champions, they are, you know, they're, they're a super, super outfit, aren't they? And they've got depth, they've got skill and talent. They'll be very confident. They'll be saying, we got the weakest team in the round of 16. That's what they'll be thinking. Uh, and our boys, well, you know, they just have to be ready. They're going to have a difficult night, but you never know. It's football. You know, we can defend well and stay in the game. You never know. Some bizarre things have been happening at this World Cup, Michael. Let's hope for at least one more. Good to chat. Good to chat. Can't wait, Willem. Go Socceroos. Gosh, how good was that? And how different would this next uh, rap sound? Uh, this goes for uh, an extended uh, duration, about uh, about 15 minutes, the boys chat for, uh, where Willem uh, uh, just wraps up the game itself and then the boys talk through uh, their experiences uh, in Qatar and also hopes and expectations for the Socceroos going forward. Michael, what did you say on the pitch last night and how did you feel? Everybody who was an Australian in the stand was taken aback by just the unbelievable performance by the Argentinian fans. I think that was probably first and foremost in everyone's mind. Um, what an unbelievable atmosphere. I'm sure, Willem, you would agree that's nothing like you would have ever, ever experienced before. No, that was a, a truly unique one. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think we thought that uh, one and a half thousand people maybe looked like a little bit more than it would, but when then sort of heading back and looking at the footage, uh, it looked like, yeah, we were very much just a speck on the radar. We were, uh, but obviously on the field, um, uh, I left the stadium feeling not sad, but very proud. Um, I thought the Socceroos were extremely gallant um, to go two goals down and then uh, that comeback, uh, to, you know, Craig Goodwin's goal and the little period after that, which uh, we well and truly had Argentina on the ropes was was very impressive. I must admit, when I looked back at the highlights this morning, Willem, I was um, feeling a bit sad because obviously the second goal in particular that Australia conceded was um, was disappointing. You know, and I, I'm sure everybody involved in the camp would agree. Um, however, it is what it is. Uh, we've we've uh, we're out of the tournament, but what a unbelievable achievement by this group of players. Um, I think we need to provide context around the competitiveness of the other teams and uh, the quality of the players. I think I'm drawn to Henry Winter's article in The Times where he glowingly describes uh, the Australian spirit uh, as being a significant factor in this team's performances through the group phase and, and, and against Argentina. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sad at the moment, but also incredibly proud and um, and really do acknowledge what a fine achievement it's been for the team and the coaches. Just taking the Socceroos hat off uh, for a moment, there's enough people that fawn over Leo Messi. 
but we'll add to the chorus just momentarily. The first goal. He hadn't done a great deal. As his beige just wound him up a little bit down on the left touch line. Uh, he stepped inside, went one two, and he he looked up at the Aussie crowd. I think as he as he slotted that one on the left foot. He did. Look in his eyes, he looked up at us, and I think in that moment, how did you feel? Were you able to detach yourself from being an Australian fan and just have a look at what you were witnessing? Merely 15 minutes, uh, 15 yeah. metres in front of you? I've seen him play a lot, actually. You know, you know, with my job, I've travelled all over the world, so I, I, I go and see many, as many football matches as I can. So I've seen him play a lot, and um, I've seen him play much better. You know, I, I, I know that he was considered man of the match, and he was uh, turning it on late in the game as well as, as uh, they were trying to get us on the break when we were attacking. Um, but I, I've seen him play better. I, I thought that goal... Um, Matthew was unlucky because uh, he was unsighted. Uh, we were right behind that when we were on, so we, we saw that he was unsighted. Um, and it sort of stuck through a, a sea of leagues, didn't it, like a Leo Messi goal often does. Yeah, it's not, hard, it's not um, too difficult to be enchanted by the narrative of Messi and the fact that this is his last World Cup performance for Argentina and every game that he plays now could be his last at, at this level. Um, he doesn't do a lot of running these days. He well and truly looks for opportunities. And I mean, he's, um, you know, the, the Leo Messi of uh, 10 years ago or five years ago would have done a lot more work in the middle of the park. And now he's playing a lot higher and really is just coasting along there. And then he turns it on when he has to. So he's a big weapon for them. Um, whether he's got enough miles in left in his legs to get them through this event, I don't know. But yeah, it's hard not to be enthralled and entertained by Messi and, and also the the just absolute reverence that he's held by the Argentinian fans. He is obviously right up there with Maradona in terms of popularity and you've only got to see that every time he gets the ball, the Argentinian fans uh, celebrate uh, his touches beautifully, don't they? We got the comeback goal. Craig Goodwin's was a thing of beauty in its own right, perhaps not as nice as, uh, as his first one against France. And that did ensure that the last 10 minutes were, were brilliant and hectic and, and desperate. As is Beige... Uh, we mentioned him earlier, and you mentioned Maradona. Just thought he might try and uh, put one back on the Argentinians for 1986 on behalf of the Poms. That would have been the greatest goal of all time. Yeah, it would have been the goal of the tournament, no doubt about it. And uh, um, I just look, he had two options, didn't he? He could have gone, he tried to go the whole way, but he might have just also um, side footed it to Jamie McCarran, who would have been an easy goal scored. So. Look, it's hard in those situations, you know, having uh, played before Willem and you've got a head of steam and you, you get past a couple of blokes, uh, you, you want to go all the way sometimes. But uh, look, uh, just on Aziz page, what a beautiful family, what a magnificent story he is um, out of Victoria, Turkish migrants. Um, yeah, he, he was epic through the entire tournament, the, the amount of work that he did. He's an unbelievable athlete. Um, Aziz Beich has made that left back his own position. Uh, I remember when he first started to get a few minutes for the Socceroos and um, when I saw him play for the old Melbourne Heart, you know, um, uh, what, what, a, what a fabulous career he's had. And I really hope that uh, his performance in the World Cup will see him get a, another big money move away from Scotland into maybe one of the leagues on the continent. I think, he's, I think his performance at the, uh, the World Cup has been unbelievable. Aziz Beich, uh, I dip my lid to you, mate. You are, you are a star. You look at the way Arnie had to shift and shuffle and get his way through the tournament with three right backs. Yeah. He had the one dependable left back who yeah. got through, I think, all yeah. four games in yeah. totality. So, no, absolutely, yeah. I, I second that. Garang Kual had the moment, had the world at his feet. Didn't quite happen, but it's all ahead of him. Yeah, it is all ahead of him. And um, 
Well, Martinez made an unbelievable save, didn't he? Um, uh, I think we were right behind that too, and that that was going in. That was going to be a goal. Um, I know it, it seemed from the body language of Garing after uh, the game that he was blaming himself uh, for that, and I did notice. We noticed Awamabil uh, walk at Garing while out, well and truly after the other, other players had entered, left the stadium, and sat uh, or stood with um, Garan Quall by himself in the middle of the field looking at the Argentinian fans celebrating and I, I'm, I'm interested to understand what AWA was saying to Garan. I, I imagine it was along the lines of don't um, let this uh, disappointment uh, get you to yourself down too much, use it as motivation and let's get him back in four years time. So um, I think Garan Quall is a special player. I just hope that um, the people that are looking after Garang, and we met his uh, agent, uh, Kwaku, um, who looks after a lot of Ghanaian players and, um, and Ivory Coast players. So uh, Kwaku is a very, very good agent. He's, he seems to have his head switched on, and uh, I've got a feeling that he's in good hands. We just hope that Garang can um, find his feet in Europe and, uh, and be, become the player that I think everyone thinks he can be. He's exciting, though, isn't he? Yeah. Very much so. No, I think he's next five or so years going to be one of the more intriguing yeah, sort of chapters yeah. that we get to follow in Australian yeah. football. Uh, final couple, Graham Arnold, 1985, uh, was the first time he contributed to the Australian Senior National uh, team. On and off throughout those years, he's achieved a lot. He's been derided by many. Uh, he's won seven of his last nine, and now he's got something to properly hang his hat on as a, as a legacy piece. Two wins, the first Australian coach to, to win a match at the World Cup, the second Australian coach to qualify a team for the World Cup, uh, and he's now got two wins, and he's led us to the, uh, to the round of 16. Out of contract for now, he's made noises in the past that he'd like to go on. Uh, how do you reflect, as someone who's watched Graham's journey from, from go to woe, uh, how do you reflect on Graham as, the, uh, as a, not the national team manager, but a contributor to the Australian game? Oh, I think he's a legend of the Australian game. I think he goes down as one of the all-time greats, both as a player and um, and uh, a coach. You know, don't forget he's been assistant coach through a number of campaigns. So, oh, I thought Graham. Um, I think he's unfair, unfairly maligned. I think the most of the sort of negativity Graham gets is because he coached Sydney FC so successfully and Central Coast Mariners before that. So I think a lot of the A League sort of rivalry sort of gets to him a little bit or, or, or that sort of drives a bit of um, the negativity about him but look um, he's proven to everybody just how significant he's been and um, the, the only thing I'll say about Graham is that he has given everything in his life to Australian football he has prioritised it in his life I mean, this World Cup qualification campaign, nobody did it harder than Graham. Spending large chunks of time away from his family, didn't complain, just continued to get on with the job. And it's tough, you know, when we went through that little period where we drew to China, uh, we lost opportunities, Oman, Oman in Oman, yeah, we drew to Oman, obviously, um, we lost to Japan in Sydney. You know, there was a lot of people uh, calling for Graham's uh, head at that time. And, you know, he withstood a lot of pressure and, and, and well played to him. He backed his, backed his plan, he backed the players, he backed his relationship with the players, and I think the proof's in the pudding. Um, Graham Arnold is a legend of Australian football, we have to acknowledge that, and it'll be an interesting decision for him and the Federation about what they do moving forward, because I think he's absolutely earned the right to go on, but even maybe Graham might be looking for a new opportunity, who knows? I think that'll all play. I hope they don't rush it. I hope they just let the dust settle and some discussions uh, go on because Graham deserves, I think, the opportunity to make the call whether he goes on or not based on this performance. 
and to all those people that do um, you know love football and do um, think Graham's maybe not the right man for the job I think they need to shut up for a while and they need to let, let Football Australia and Graham just work it through themselves and what will be will be you know um, but 24 games in this World Cup campaign including the matches that we played here and Graham's lost four matches in 24 we lost uh, 2-1 to Japan in Tokyo we lost 2-0 to Japan in, in Sydney when we were at our most uh, COVID impacted rattled by COVID yep, yep. and then Tokyo. we lost uh, we sent, sent a C team to Saudi Arabia uh, we got beaten by them in Jeddah we got beaten by Argentina in the round of 16 so the four games he's lost in the last 24 France uh, yeah France yeah so let's um, not um, let's not uh, I think really uh, lose sight of what he's achieved and um, and just how significant his leadership's been so uh, well done boss you got my vote of approval. And finally, you've seen how the game has, has grown and boomed and also stagnated and struggled closer than most over the years. We saw what the 2006 group and era and success did for the game. What are you hoping or expecting to see off the back of this performance over the next six to 12 months? Well, I think in 2006, there was a, a generation of uh, young Australians who were motivated and inspired by the efforts of Viduka, Kuhl, Grella, Bresciano, Schwarzer, those guys, Cahill. I think um, there'll be a new generation of Australians that are thrilled with the Mitch Dukes and Craig Goodwins. The difference is that they're going to see these players in the A-League mostly, aren't they? So um, I think that's a good opportunity for the sport. I think um, I, I know that um, in my own journey with the sport, I've, I've always felt like we've qualification for the World Cup's been the achievement and we go to the World Cup for a bit of a party and knowing we're not going to do too well. But now I'm actually thinking that, OK, it's time we go to the World Cup and uh, actually try and really strategise to how to get out of the group more regularly and, and see if we can start to impact uh, the tournament a little bit deeper. So that's the aspirations I've got for the sport as it grows. I think we'll continue on. It'll continue to grow. Um, uh, I did note with great interest that um, there was a significant amount of people at live sites and uh, I think the television numbers will have been spectacularly huge. I think they'll probably... I mean, I know um, four of the last, uh, I think in the last 10 years, four of the top 10 sports broadcast audience have been Socceroo, key Socceroo games. So I'm expecting the match against Argentina would have been a blockbuster for ratings. That's all, all good news for football. Let's, um, you know, let's uh, not lose sight of the challenges that the professional game faces, but we've got to reconnect to the pyramid as well. The B-League's got to happen. and Well, there's a lot of work to do, but, um, yeah, with the Socceroos, I mean... Let's just revel in um, their achievements. Well, I've got a question for you before we hand back to Rob in the studio, but um, you've spent a bit of time here. I think you've seen 13 matches. Yes. 13 matches. What's been your experience at the World Cup and how have you enjoyed hanging out with uh, all the people that we work with? Uh, it's been twofold. There's been myself coming here on a holiday to enjoy myself and to, to hang out with and meet new people, and there's been the sort of desire I had to see what this World Cup was all about. So much spoken about it over the last 12 years. I had that inquisitiveness to come and see what the country's like and uh, 
in terms of the first part, it's been fantastic. The games have been awesome. The stadiums are good. Grenegal Army put on a, a fantastic show, and the Socceroos. It's just good fun to be along for the ride. And that Argentina game was, in my opinion, there was there was little. I wasn't stressed. I wasn't upset. I wasn't disappointed. I was just absolutely stoked that for me that achieved what I'd come to see them do, and that was to to absolutely maximise himself and get out of the round of 16. So to see Messi and Argentina at a, at a World Cup and see the Socceroos go toe to toe was fantastic. In terms of Qatar, I've got my own sort of observations, which. Uh, I'm glad I've got. I've spoken to some, not locals, because there aren't too many around. You don't meet them day to day. But I've spoken to some Saudi Arabians. I've spoken to some Moroccan and Algerian migrants and plenty of Sri Lankan migrants and Bangladeshis. And uh, I think there's probably a lot of unhappy and sort of sad people living in this country, Michael. But... um, just so a lot of people chasing opportunity, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's, uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's a first world opportunity for people who live in the third world. Uh, yeah. And, you know, not everyone can make it to, you know, Australia and, and Melbourne and, and Sydney and the like. So it's an opportunity there. There's a lot of people spending a lot of time away from their families, but a lot of people sort of making money for their families. So it's an interesting society. Uh, but very much glad that I've... Uh, but I've been here to, uh, to see it. So well done to you, Michael. Been a monster 2022. You sit here looking a slightly more relaxed man as, uh, as players depart, families depart, guests depart. Yeah, it's, it's, look, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, only another sort of 10 days here to wrap up the project. But, yeah, it's been a monumental journey for myself and my business and uh, looking forward to getting back on the Box to Box podcast with Rob and Derek and Damo and yourself and talking about football again as we go into a, a massive World Cup year for Australia, the Women's World Cup in 2023. It's going to be huge. What an impact that'll have at home. Let's not forget how important that is. Uh, and then obviously, before you know it, the Socceroos will be rebooting for a qualification campaign for 2026 Canada, USA, Mexico. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? And an Asian Cup that we could very well win. It's That's going to be right. highly competitive, Japan, yeah. South Korea, and possibly yeah. Russia. That's an interesting one that we'll, yeah, uh, we'll pick yeah. up over and the next Saudis. Yeah. We'll see you next Monday, Michael, on the regular show. No more excuses. Back to you, Rob. Listening to the guys, um, clearly uh, Edge must be exhausted. He's got a little bit more work to do, but uh, but what a, an exciting um, couple of weeks it's been for them. Yeah, we've been living vicariously through the power of them, haven't we, Rob? While we've been here holding the force in Australia. It has been great hearing their voice notes, their dispatches, fair play for both of them for making some time to to talk like that. And I, it just, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, just it's very powerful when you hear it right from the ground there, the, the instant reaction. You know, you, you, that, you know, that's what you want to hear as we kind of wrap up, um, wrap up the kind of Socceroos chapter of Qatar 2022. But, of course, there's plenty more to come. Derek, thank you again, mate, as always. Pleasure, Rob. And Damo, who is behind the buttons, he'll be joining us uh, in front of them uh, a little later on in the week as we drop a stoppage time, the very version that I mentioned to you. Please subscribe to box to box box to box stoppage time and box to box offside wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.